Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Professional Insights Podcast. Thank you very much. Our sponsors are Brand Boulevard. Thank you very much, guys, for the uh, the uh, the prize for all of our our our, our gift for all of our speakers. Uh, one will be going to our guest today. But before we get to that, I just want to inter- reintroduce ourselves. Prizes. All right, I know you are, Art. Like you got to get free stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you. My name is Brandon Curry. Josh Bond. And Trevor Lindy. And uh, Jeff is just delayed today, so that's okay. He'll probably be on another one. He'll get over it. And our guest is the president of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, Mr. Rocco Rossi. How are you, sir? I am doing so much better hanging out with you guys. Well, thanks very much. It's been at least a couple of months we've been back and forth. You have such a busy schedule. I mean, you have such uh, uh, a... A massive membership base uh, that have been hit so hard by this pandemic and by by lockdowns and 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 what have you. I just can't even fathom. Um, I follow you. Uh, I have you as one of my follows or something on my LinkedIn. I always get all of your follows because I'm a huge uh, numbers geek when it comes to, especially when it comes to vaccination rates. So I really appreciate that because you were one of the first people along with uh, another guest on this podcast, Grant LaFleche from now the Toronto Star, um, that you two are the, my main sources of, of data that I, that I wanted to digest for through this pandemic. And so thank you very much for starting that trend because, and I still follow you on all your different vaccination rates. Um, for our listeners, can you um, give just a quick synopsis of like how big the Ontario Chamber of Commerce is, how many members you have, that that kind of thing. That'd be great. Right. Well, uh, we're the umbrella group for 157 uh, local chambers and boards of trade in every corner uh, of this province. We were talking before the show started about uh, Timmins, uh, one of our great members, Toronto Region Board of Trade. Um, They, in turn, represent over 60,000 businesses, large and small, public and private, and not just businesses. We also have colleges, universities, not-for-profits, really a broad cross-section of the Ontario economy, representing several million jobs between all of those members. So how did you, like... How are you? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to go with just one of the obvious things that are that's on your LinkedIn. You you always post these great informations, the, this this data. It's purely factual data that you get right from public health, right? This is not like made up stuff. And you still, uh, and God bless you for doing no, it. No, he's not Trump. <laughs> no, he's not. No, this is all legit. Um, God bless you. You don't turn off your comments. You allow people to comment on your posts. I've read a whole bunch of them. Walk me through just for a second on how, how do you compartmentalize? Because I'm assuming some of them are members of your umbrella organization and what have you. I, you don't respond to any of them. You just let people just comment. How do you, how do you, how do you do that? How do you deal with that every day? And Well, look, I, I'm an enormous believer uh, in free speech. Um, and um, I have uh, the right to put out information. I do my very best to get the best sources that I have because I'm also, as a as a businessman, as someone who believes you can't me- you can't manage what you don't measure. 
uh, and having that data gives you a sense of the size of the problem, where it's going, how it's trending, what's working, what isn't working, um, and um, and it it becomes a very powerful tool for the advocacy we do with government and also the education and the data that we provide to our member businesses for them to uh, think about measures. And I've just been blown away by how responsive business has been from the get-go on um, on this. Yes, people focus on some of the, you know, the, the, the critics and some of the craziness uh, out there, but by and large, you're seeing incredibly uh, generous people want to get their arms around this crisis, understand that science is a good thing and uh, and that uh, we need these uh, we need to apply that science to take on uh, what is one of the greatest threats we've ever faced in our lifetimes um, and um, and 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 so let's put the data out there. If people want to take exception, um, I, I'm also a huge believer that just shine a light on that, and that has uh, an incredible uh, impact on on clearing out the nonsense because people look at it and it's so obviously unhinged. Um, but uh, they need to know that there are people out there thinking that way. You were one of the big strong voices in the very beginning of the pandemic. Uh, sorry, it, it, not in the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, in the middle of the pandemic when restrictions started to get loosened. So, um, and one of them being the, I saw your post regarding uh, like the AC, not uh, the Scotiabank Convention Center being at 100% capacity in restaurants around the same vicinity, only being at 50%. How did you, because in theory, MLSC is a member potentially, yeah. and so it is... A is it is a member, and so yeah. are their affiliated restaurants members. Yeah. And so you've got the same member that's allowed to be at 100% for one and 50% for the other. How do you compartmentalize that argument and go back to the government? And, and like, how did one get announced and not the other? And I'm not saying that's you. I'm just saying, how do you manage that when things yeah. are happening so quickly? Look, my dad always reminds me that it's best to tell the truth this way. You don't have to remember what you said. Uh, we try to be consistent. Uh, and one of the reasons we took that on, even though, you know, we were delighted for the members like MLSC, like the live music venues, um, like the other sporting venues, that they got to go to 100% once they had the vaccine passport system and proof of fully vaxxed people coming in. And we said, hey, one of the reasons we were huge proponents of introducing the vaccine passport system, even when the premier was opposing it, was we wanted to have tools to help manage uh, the pandemic to actually allow our members to go to 100% because no business model is built around only ever getting 50% capacity, right? No. Um, that is a fast way to go bankrupt. Um, so, uh, so we pushed, uh, they adopted some of it. They wanted to go stage by stage, but we needed to keep the pressure on to say, hey, these organizations are following exactly the same rules there. They're doing what you've asked of them. 
And if you're not going to give them the, the right to go to 100% under that system, then you better be prepared to cut them a check because they are taking one for the team. And they have been taking one for the team since the beginning of this pandemic. And it's just not fair. I totally, well, we, everyone here totally agree yeah. with you on that one. I am a huge proponent. I mean, I didn't want to have it, obviously, but I mean, when it, the, we the path, needed to have it. Nobody to have wants it. to have restrictions, right. Right? right? It's whether you need them because the alternative is another full lockdown that, quite frankly, no one wants. Yes. It's Same funny because they're getting a stab in the arm, though, too, right? I don't want, I don't want a needle. Yeah. You know, yeah, nobody, yeah. nobody wants, oh, I can't, like, on Thursday, I get my flu shot. Oh, yeah. yeah, I can't wait to go to the doctor's office and get, like, give me a break. I don't want it. It's the alternative. <laughs> yeah, I remember learning how to, yeah, I remember learning how to drive. And and my dad, it always, it's very similar that you, you kind of quote your father as well. Uh, you know, I'm driving, you know, I'm still doing, I'm still doing the speed limit, 50, 60. And the guy cuts, cuts, cuts in and I'm right up this guy's behind. And my dad's like, would you slow down? I'm like, well, I'm in the right. And he goes, what's the alternative? Yeah. Congratulations, you're six feet under, but you're in the right there, son. Slow down. You like no, you are in the right. You should be able to go at the speed you're going at, but that person's the idiot. But regardless, the alternative is bad. Um, that yeah, I I do completely agree with you on on, on that one. Um, and just I mean, the inundation of requests you must have received during this time. What is your feeling? Well, I mean, it's clear as day. All levels of government all had no plan for a pandemic doesn't matter party i don't care you're any party can sit there and squawk they did not have one in in the repertoire at all what is going to be the occ's plan and maybe the canadian chamber of commerce's plan going forward to make sure that this does not happen again uh sars was our warning sign obviously no level of government took it which was in 2003 what are you planning to do to work with governments and with municipalities and everything to make sure that there is a plan going forward so this doesn't happen again? Well, you make an excellent point, and it's good to remind people of, of SARS. And, you know, for a while after SARS, there was a plan. Uh, and warehouses were filled with PPE, and uh, there were additional investments made into R&D. And a big part of the reason... Uh, the messenger RNA vaccinations are available now is because research and investment was put into them. So it wasn't done overnight. People kind of freak out, oh, my God, this has only yeah. been developed in one year. It's yeah. been a couple decades of research into that area, in part because of SARS. But the problem is that the, the nature of most people is the further you get away from a crisis, the more quickly you forget and you get into the latest thing. And so the PPE that we, we had stored in those warehouses, it goes bad. It's not there permanently and it wasn't it wasn't filled. And people start to worry about, oh, well, we got to trim costs here and let's avoid that because, you know, it's a once in a generation thing. We have to keep this as a reminder in front of us. We need to have a full debrief at the end of this and pull those lessons out. And you're absolutely right. No one had a plan. But to be fair, to all levels of government and all political parties, at least for the first part 
of this crisis. We had an unprecedented amount of cooperation and collaboration mm -hmm. between levels, between parties. It's fraying now as people do their political thing, but it was crucial and and it isn't a given as we saw south of the border. Um, you know, it's not always the case that when there's a fire that everyone will reach for the buckets of water and help put it out. Some people throw gasoline onto it. We didn't have that in any kind of major way, which is which is a plus and is one of the reasons why, aside from Japan, in terms of OECD countries, Canada had the lowest death rate per capita due to COVID. Um, and so I, I do think it's important to give people kudos when they get at least some of the stuff right. But if we just forget about that uh, going into the future, then then shame on us. And that is a huge disservice to all the sacrifices and, quite frankly, the deaths that have occurred. The best way to honor those people is to make sure we don't permit it to ever get to that level again. So do you think some of the... Um... There was, there was, there was lack of planning is one thing, but also this thing was an ever-changing beast. Every day was a different, like, they're just trying to figure it out. Um, the, I, I do want to give, and I'm not being political here at all. I'm being, just being very factual. I vividly remember uh, you sharing something um, from Pre Premier Doug Ford. Uh, releasing the data, the, the, the graph data. Hey, if we don't do something, because I'm a huge proponent in being completely transparent and honest with people, we're adults, let us make our own decisions. Um, should that have been done earlier at all levels of government? Should that have maybe, do you think it was too early that we did that? Um, like, where do you think the role of municipalities lie in, in that aspect? Look, Ned, Ned, I'm I'm with you. I'm a huge believer that transparency and giving people the information, um, while sometimes it leads to problems, uh, overall it's the best way to proceed. Because if not, people are always worried there's a hidden agenda. They'll act in ways that go against where uh, where you want to get to. It's not a way of rallying. Uh, people to uh, to the cause. And this is something where we needed societal buy-in, right? Because it's it's when people work together um, that we're able to to bring things under control. And when when there are people who feel, well, we'll just let everybody else do the work and then reap the benefits at the end, but no way am I going to do X, Y, and Z. That comes from misinformation or lack of information. So I think I, I think by and large, uh, we didn't get it right all the all of the time, but but uh, by any means, but uh, more often than than many of the other comparators around the world. The other thing that was important to your point about uh, things were changing quickly. It's actually one of the lessons that we need to take out of this pandemic is. Government, by its nature, is not designed to go quickly, right? That's why right. you have opposition parties. That's why you have committee hearings. That's why you have uh, royal commissions. 
everything is designed to slow things down, to think through what's happening, to go out there and focus group it and poll it and look at the problems. And COVID basically said, dude, that is just not good enough. I'm going to kill a bunch of people if you wait that long. So the key is, can we, based on the information that we have, and we learn new things as we go, but the best information that we have, take our best shot, and then be prepared to listen to people and adapt. Uh, so we had basically a laboratory of how to accelerate public policy development, how to keep doors open to information to adapt. So whether it was the wage subsidy program going from 10% that clearly wasn't working to 75% or the rent subsidy program or a bunch of other steps, it's take your best shot, understand that it's not going to be perfect, and then be prepared to improve it. And, and I think while you can't do all of government all of the time that way, um, in a world that is becoming progressively more and more competitive, being able to speed things up at least some of the time is actually a good thing for our competitiveness. Now, you hit on a couple of things that were that are just there um, that I wanted to get into, which is a great actually segue, which is amazing, which is the the government support. Um, again, your your members or members of your of your umbrella organization. Um, again, you have uh, we're, we're a member of the GNCC here locally. Um, uh, and Flepicario and Lindy, I think, yeah, both, all, both of your businesses are both members of yeah, the GNCC well. as well. Here's the question I had. And Mishka um, is a great leader. I'm a big, oh, big yeah, fan no, of I know the work Mishka that they well. do. No, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I guess the question that I had is, you, but your members are also restaurants. And as you know, they are struggling to find people right now. A lot of that is, and I firmly believe it's anecdotal right now, but we'll know later on. A lot of that is CERB. A lot of that is the go home, here's some money. And just when you're making, you know, $13 an hour, it's pretty easy to do that. I'm a huge proponent. I think what did really well was the, the wage subsidy, meaning you're keeping people employed and you're keeping them with their employer, but the government's coming in and helping and, and maintaining people so that they're not, you know, when, when work opens up, you still have those staff again. And I'm not saying you have to agree with that. What is your take on it now that we've gone through essentially almost 18 months of a universal basic income? Well, we were huge proponents of using wage subsidy versus just putting people on to EI for exactly the reasons that you're raising. Keep people connected to businesses. And quite frankly, Almost all of those government employees that are managing those systems were also being forced to go home and work from home. And so you backed up the system, whereas you had a whole bunch of payroll systems that could get money into people's hands faster. Uh, and it, it, took, it took a while to make that work. Uh, it has been, uh, it was a key part. It has been playing a key part. I, I would... Uh, nuance your comment just a little bit on the, you know, we're competing against CERB because what's interesting is, you know, in the U.S., they they removed their enhanced uh, employment insurance some time ago. They're still having the labor shortage issues because 
This is not solely an issue of competing against government money. In an average year in Ontario before the pandemic, we would have roughly 500,000 foreign temporary workers and international students at any given time. This past year, 100,000. That's 400,000 people that serve and enhance CI's got nothing to do with. They're simply not in the market. And those people were filling jobs. You've also had far more in the way of retirements happening in a number of sectors at different levels uh, because people have said, hey, two years has been taken away from my life. And yes, I could work another three, five years, but I'm I'm okay. I can get by being a little more uh, modest in my needs, but I want to live my life. I'm going to make different choices. The immigration issue is huge. Um, so all of those things are, are um uh, combining to uh, to cause these issues on the on the labor front, and we've got we've got a lot of work to do. And quite frankly, we need to do a ton more on training and retraining because the pace of change is accelerating, and what you study in school, uh, with very few exceptions, is going to have relatively little to do with the career you have a decade into it. And so the, the jurisdictions, the countries, the provinces that figure out how best to incorporate lifelong learning so that people are adapted to the job opportunities are the ones that are going to win. Hmm. Fair. Um, I'm just, I, I just want to digest, the, okay, that, uh, Trevor or um, Josh, do you have any yeah, no, I mean, I, I think it's a fair comment. I mean, I, I'm I'm committed to lifelong learning constantly, on the job or outside the job, right? And I mean, it's such an important tool that a lot of people, once they've got their careers, they brush off by way of the uh, dodo bird sometimes, right? And I mean, it's constantly learning. How, how do you find that? Because um, a lot of a lot of the chamber's role is by design kind of rallying with governments right what would you say that your workload in that rallying went to if on an average year it was 100 percent yeah i mean this is one of those circumstances where it was 120 percent right like at, and, the at least right yeah like, and it's um Look at again to quote my dad. Um, anybody can be a leader in good times, right? Mm -hmm. It's a relatively easy job. It's in it's when times are tough that you prove your your worth, your character, and and you earn your title and your and your salary. And um, uh, we've never been more relevant. Uh, huh. But at the same time, we've also seen circumstances that um, the the single hardest part of my job is the the calls and emails I've taken and letters I've taken from people who are at the end of their rope, who have lost their business, who had had personal guarantees and are gonna lose their house. Uh, the mental health issues that we knew were a problem even before COVID have been magnified many times with the anxieties that have been created um, uh, throughout this, this crisis. And it, and it pains me. The, the reality is, despite all levels of government saying we've got your back and the best efforts of the chamber and other organizations, tens of thousands of businesses in Ontario alone have gone bankrupt 
during this pandemic. And we should never forget that, um, uh, that there is an enormous price that is being paid um, in the dreams of people. And, and, and business, as you well know, look, it's not just about selling goods and services. Business, and particularly our small business, our main street businesses, they're our street culture, right? They're, they're the places people have gotten their first jobs. They're where you've taken your first date and bought your first important pre present. They're the people who are sponsoring the local hockey teams and baseball teams and, um, and, and, and watching Main Street's board up um, is incredibly painful and dangerous. And that's why for all of the debate around supports, um, the alternative is allowing the permanent scarring of, of permanent bankruptcy, which is far harder on an economy and on a society than, than ponying up and, and doing what we can to keep people's head above water till we get to the other side of this. You're, um, you have so many different, uh, like I said before, so many different sizes of businesses and, and what have you. When I just want to know, when did being a business owner become such a dirty word? Like, is that like, why are we, why? I, and I understand in 2008 and 2009, the whole, you bailed out Wall Street, you didn't bail out Main Street. And listen, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with, hey, uh, you, AIG doesn't need the, the multi-billion dollar bailout. The, the person on like the mom pa hardware store needs the, you know, the bailouts and, and that kind of stuff. I understand that context. But what I didn't understand was the, the kind of the, the visceral reaction to some of the, that I saw online from people uh, on the bailouts and like the wage subsidy, the rent subsidy, things that keep these people afloat because they have no income coming in. Um, when did that happen and why has it happened? Um, yeah. When you look at the property taxes that these people pay. Well, and the jobs that they provide and the contributions to the community. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. We don't do enough to celebrate the incredibly positive force that that business is. And unfortunately, there, as in all aspects of life, there are bad apples. There are people yeah. who who uh, run roughshod over the rules, but they are the minority. They're not the majority. And unfortunately, you know, you pointed it that you see this online. We didn't have online before. We didn't have. Uh, this mechanism that you could use to just spew vitriol uh, at a volume that we've never seen before uh, that that unfortunately has also been stoked up by, um, you know, various individuals and, and celebrities and, you know, he who shall remain nameless uh played that uh, that game despite being you know wealthy uh, himself is just feed on people's anger there's always things to be angry about and and uh ratcheting that up and throwing more gasoline on it um is 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 no way to to move forward and to really provide people with the opportunities that 
we all want to uh, to provide. And I, I think business should be seen as uh, as heroes in our society. And that's why we at the chamber try to celebrate them as much as possible. And every year we we have our Ontario Business Achievement Awards. And that's that's one way of shining that uh, shining that light. What is the now what do you see coming down the pipeline? And we, we kind of just briefly uh, chatted because, like, for example, we're 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 the finance sector. So we weren't as hit hard as other sectors duly noted. And, and, and I and I acknowledge that what additional funding for like getting these people back to work is coming down the pipeline. What do you see happening? Like I told you about you know, people that we're looking at hiring, however, they're out of university, but they need credentials to work in the finance industry, right? Like you just can't. What, what, Curry, what, what we're, you at, we're at about a half an hour. And I mean, oh, I, right. I, I, I've got a question kind of that's kind of in related and wouldn't mind Rocco's kind of two cents on universal basic income too, if if he'll provide. Yeah, right if you want to then maybe let's let, sure. let like, Trevor, you want to wrap, maybe wrap this up episode and then we'll. Sure. Yeah, we well, can. Jeff's waiting. Okay, so to everyone that's listening, we're going to have another episode uh, with uh, the president of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce, uh, on uh, Rocco Rossi. So thanks very much for listening to this episode. Please share, care, uh, and uh, go ahead, Bondo. Help us help you stay informed. Hi, I'm Emily Roger, and I host a leadership show called The Boiling Point with my co-host, Dave Vale. Together, we sit down with trailblazing entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and movement makers who are driving meaningful change in our world. The show is all about exploring the lives and perspectives of leaders who are making a difference. Join us for insightful conversations that challenge the status quo, spark new ideas, and inspire you to take action. Find us on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, or at BoilingPointPodcast.com. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.